Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I was just saying to my team that I want to do a cover of Adonna Summer song live, and I don't know which one, and I started singing... Looking for some hot stuff, baby, this evening. How about some hot stuff, baby, tonight? Woo! So there you go. I'm singing in with some hot stuff, baby. That's the first guest on the podcast to start with that. I love being original. <laughs> but, like, she just had those kind of theatrical but diva songs yeah. that I think would be so fun to carry on live. I know you've mentioned over the years Michael Jackson, Billy Joel, other artists. Were you a big Donna Summer fan as well? I haven't heard you I talk was. about her. I was. You know, it's funny. Like, she's one of those artists. It's like Prince. It's like, I never talked about Prince, but it's like, you realize, especially when someone passes, the impact they had. And Donna Summer was one of those artists. Although I, I did have the opportunity to meet her a few times, and I was in awe when I met her. I mean, I, I thought she was amazing. I just She's like one of those women that could have done Broadway, and she did, like, she just was so legit and cool and right like, yeah did you since you mentioned a prince did, did you ever meet prince i did yeah i met him at the time he was not talking directly to two people he was talking to people through his bodyguard <laughs> so i met him at was it the 21 club is that what it's called the what is it called you know the um the atlantic records grammy party was there i'm probably getting the name wrong oh okay i'm um, not sure but it's a number Oh my gosh! I thought everyone was gonna go. Oh yeah, no, no help, no help in the room. Everyone in the room is disappointing. Um, but anyway, it was like I can visualize where it was, and it was an after party for the Grammys. It was Atlantic's after party, and Prince's bodyguard came up to me and said, um, "Prince would like to meet you and say hi." And he came over, and I was like, "Hi!" And then Prince whispered something to his bodyguard. His bodyguard said, "Prince wants me to tell you he." thinks you're really talented and congratulations on all your success and i was like thank you i mean thank thank him for me thank <laughs> you. i didn't know who to thank the the, the, tra- the english to english but needless translator. to say it was even if he's it's you know through the bodyguard it was a tremendous compliment and i never forgot it right <laughs> and michael jackson as well one of your other heroes yes michael jackson and the same like i met michael jackson and he said he said oh i was just watching your your concert special on disney and i was like Michael Jackson was just sitting in front of his television watching me that still to this day just that doesn't compute it's crazy um yeah I mean Michael Jackson I mean Michael Jackson's Michael Jackson what else can you say <laughs> and I know your other here I'll just ask one more Billy Joel you've, you've Billy Joel your fellow Long Islander yes um oh my gosh I remember painting a mural on my bedroom wall to Cold Spring Harbor 
which at, well, when we were living like right down the street from Cold Spring Harbor, oddly, and that record always sounded to me like it was sped up. Did you ever notice? Did you, if you listen again, like no. So I got. It might have just been his voice at the time, and the vibrato is very fast. It's kind of got this like she's got a way about her. Now my vibrato naturally does that, so it's easy for me to do. But his voice was a lot trillier, and it always sounded to me almost like it was kind of almost like a hair sped up, like they used to do for certain radio stations, which right. would drive me nuts. Really? Well, because to me, the key, um, and I, I always was like perfect pitch girl. I don't even claim to be that now, because. I don't think it's as perfect as it was, but um, back then that drove me nuts. And and your song is a certain tempo, right. and it has a very. I was like, I used to labor over that one beat per minute, and so when they gave it that extra jumpy edge to, you know, certain stations just wanted to sound brighter right, or whatever. Energy, yeah, yeah, it drove me nuts. All right, we've, we've talked about every every other artist, so we should probably talk about. Debbie Gibson right. here on the Billboard Charfy Podcast. Thank you so much for, for coming on, especially because we're, we're, we're taping this on a Friday mm-hmm. at uh, around 1 o'clock. You haven't really gotten any sleep, have you? I haven't. Um, it, this feels like an old school promo week because I was in L.A. and I had one of those mornings where I was up at 4 and I went all day and I capped off the day with a friend's wedding because it happened to be that night and I was like, uh. I can do it all! And then I crashed for like two days from that. <laughs> And then the other day I did like literally 18 interviews in one day and then rehearsed with the band. Yesterday did um, a concert this morning for Fox and Friends and a few other interviews. So we're rolling. I, I, yeah, I, I was yeah, there. I you couldn't s- sleep. No, you, you sounded great. I mean, for that energy. Thank you. At that hour. Plus it was about 100 degrees already at 8 a.m. <laughs> here in New York. You know, it's interesting. I go through a lot of um, torture with my voice. Because I have felt my voice sound and feel really warm, really strong, really effortless. And just as often I have felt my voice feel really edgy. Um, my diaphragm muscles can get kind of stuck and tight. And like, it's like two different people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a thing. It's like, I've, I have to learn, you know, I do everything I can to obviously to, <laughs> to make it sound as good as I can. But I'm a kind of like uneven person like it's like I'm not like oh I'm gonna sound the same every day I'm not and so it's still like a a hard pill to swallow to to be able to accept that like last week I sounded so warm and then today I sound a little raggedy and and yet you you have to just show up and use what you've got right but it can be emotionally challenging is it like a pitcher coming in from the bullpen you don't know like you felt good in the warm-up but you don't know how it's going to be when you get out on stage yeah well that's i mean i literally did not know how i was going to produce any sound today now that is petrifying and all you can do when you're up in the wee hours of the night and you're not sleeping and you're like my voice feels crappy is keep repeating now is not then you're going to be on the stage and something magical is going to take over and one thing i've learned is to not over warm up so like i was so tired i used to do like an hour-long warm-up no matter what and with this i was like let me just check in with where my voice is and do the bare minimum because i'm gonna need that on the stage right because i'm tired you know and so like when you're doing a lot of press and a lot of interviews you're using a different kind of adrenaline. If I had my way, there'd be a singing chapter and there'd be an interview chapter, but they'd like never be in the same week. 
I just made but you. I just made you happen. sing an interview within like thirty seconds. So now I feel so bad that I did that. <laughs> no, and then what's funny is right now I'm so relieved that that thing is over, and because it was it was um it was probably the first big TV thing I've done live in like five years. Yeah, and yeah, the lesson was GMA with Tiffany, and <clears throat> I didn't feel amazing that day, and so for me that stuck with me, and I wanted this to be great, and then you start putting all this crazy pressure you know but you flew the you know the band got flown in and i'm promoting the hallmark movie and it's right. just i start to put all this pressure on myself and i want it to be great and singing on television is hard i don't know how so many people sound so good on television yeah because it's hard to sound good on tv especially in the morning well there are a lot of fans there i'm sure the energy picked you up right oh my god it picked me up and i haven't seen it on tv yet but as a live concert i it exceeded my expectations i ended up feeling pretty darn good you know i had to focus on kind of staying grounded because I'm overtired but right. I loved the feel of that concert because it was daylight and then in between the songs you could just talk to people very casually yeah. and it just kept me very connected and right. it was, I, I enjoyed that about it alright well you sounded great so thank, thank you, you for continuing your, your long day by visiting oh my gosh of billboard. course it wouldn't be a trip to New York without seeing you well billboards a part of your history oh my goodness too right it's the only plaque. I might have said that, told you this before, but I'm not sure. I don't have gold records on my walls in my house. I used to. Yeah. I had that whole thing, you know, like this is this is not a house. This is a shrine to me, you know. <laughs> um, and now I just don't have that. So <laughs> the only thing I have up is my Billboard Foolish Beat number one plaque right yeah. by my Liberace piano, because that's like it's musical. It's it's important and it's like wow fans made this record number one and it's billboard and i don't know that's just that's the only thing i have hanging does it feel less less like a shrine to you than if you see all the gold records is that why you you changed that yeah i mean it oh yeah yeah um yeah like i don't need everything to be like deb centric in my you know in my downtime because it's so like you start you know when you you spend 30 years talking about yourself like right. you do now and you reflect and you're always analyzing yourself in, in interviews and things it's like you, you kind of start to laugh at it and then when you read other interviews with other artists and you're like oh my god all these people spend so much time thinking about themselves and all, all this introspection like people really really care <laughs> and people do care but in the overall scheme of life it's like it's showbiz and it's cool and it's you know it's inspirational to people, maybe, but there's also so so much more right. things. But that's got to be weird when you meet someone who has feel like they've known you for 30 years because your music has been such a part of their life. It is really important to them, and and you yeah every every first time meet and greet has to be you kind of have to be on for that, right? Oh yeah, like today we met. I'm you know I, I said hi to every single fan that wanted to say hi after the concert and. It always amazes me that, like, especially because I did a lot of Broadway in New York. So I was at a stage door available to be met for nine months straight, six days a week. So if someone's like, I never met you, I'm like, where were you in 1997, (laughs) Beauty and the Beast or whatever. But, like, there is a lot of first time, you know, meet and greet people. And so today alone I got to hear, like, one guy was like, oh, you know, I, I was closeted in high school and your music got me through and like I hear these stories and they never get old and it's yes it's this person's first time getting to tell me the story right 
and have me recognize them. And so I'm like hyper aware of that. And, and that's very moving. The, one of the times I saw you a few years ago, you said that was uh, something that Sheer mm-hmm. told you that I thought it was the, the greatest has always stuck with me. Fans don't want to meet the celebrity. They want the celebrity to yeah, meet them. They want to know the celebrity now knows who they are. Right. Yeah. So people want to know, uh, they want to say, uh, you've been a part of my life, this happened to me, and yeah. you were a part of that. Right, and then they want to go tell all their friends, like, I got to tell so-and-so that, you know, it's a whole thing. And, um, yeah, it's it really, I can see the emotion in the person telling me their story. Like, they have waited their whole adult life to tell me this. Right. And, and it's, here it is, it's the opportunity. Like, I'm getting goosebumps talking about that, because it is... It is powerful, and and the power of the music itself. Like when we were doing Foolish Beat this morning, I saw this woman in the back, and she was at church. Like she was just like, "Amen, that is my song," <laughs> you know. And to get that from people to think, like, "Wow, some song I wrote is their song," yeah, you know, it's that m- monumental to them. It's still very surreal to me. Yeah. Apparently weren't looking at me. I think I had the same reaction <laughs> during during Foolish Beat. That's that's my favorite song oh, of yours. We were gonna do it in in in, in, in its entirety because you know doing the medley sometimes becomes eh. But Fox specifically requested Lost in Your Eyes. I was gonna right. do that at the end, and they said no, we wanted it on the broadcast. So I said oh, I'll I'll medley them up. You know, just do the little high points. But it worked out pretty well. We had the whole thing prepared, and the background singers were killing it. So yeah. hopefully you'll get to hear that again at some point. Right. Well, we haven't really mentioned the movie, which by the time uh, this posts on Billboard.com and, and iTunes, uh, Summer of Dreams mm-hmm. premiered, uh, will have premiered um, Saturday night, August 27th yeah. on Hallmark. It'll rerun, though. So Okay. Yeah. And so it's... A, we might give spoilers. We might not. You've you've had your chance to watch it at, at this point. If exactly if if, if we if we say turn something, this off, turn this down. If yes, <laughs> I've I, I've seen it. What what hit me is it, it feels like maybe I know it's it's not officially a biopic of you, but it it just feels like that maybe the most revealing, uh, emotional, honest kind oh, cool. of version of yourself that you've put out there because so much of it like really does tie into your your real life. Well, you know, it's funny, like that mattress door scene in the beginning, right. which, first of all, <clears throat> was shot where there were people. My vote was that, okay, my theory is any artist doing an in-store, even, I, I joke, like, even, like, the third lead on a sitcom from the 70s is going to draw a crowd in a mattress store. Like, you're going to, so my vote went to, like, they're a little older crowd, and they're not that hip, and they're kind of, you know, doing the white man overbite dance or whatever, but there's people but because in what I learned about movies is because it happens so quick, the stronger visual is like, she's singing. Oh, my God, it's a magic store. Oh, my God, it's empty. Like that just it right. hits people in the gut harder. And so it's a little exaggerated. Well, that's the first scene where it's it started. I mean, it fooled me because it seems like, oh, it, it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. I'm you're getting all, ready for the garden. Yeah, you're all dressed <laughs> up. And I'm like, OK, it, you know, it, it, it felt like it's going to be typical Hallmark. I'm like, oh, it's got the sense of humor. It's very self-deprecating. So I, I think that's it early is. pretty yeah. on that that happens early and, on. And I had been with Atlantic Records for the first few albums. And then I did an album with SBK, with Brian Koppelman. And... You know, there was a new label head that came in, and suddenly, uh, suddenly he was like, "What's this album? I don't get it." And threw me to do Borders Books and Music, which actually ended up being amazing because, you know, it'd be like five hundred to a thousand people like packed into a Borders Books and Music, and to this day, I can see the fans' faces who still follow me to this day that were there. Like right. it was a very special thing, and 
and I treated it like I was performing at Madison Square Garden. I did the same vocal warm-up. I put the same energy into it. And, and so to me, to have the character in the movie, the version of me in the movie, and I can't even say character, like the Debbie, Debbie in the movie, right. um, to show that it was like, to me it was a sign of integrity to say, I am treating this very seriously, even though it's a mattress store right. <laughs> opening. And I promoted karaoke microphones in Costco's with this Korean company. And so, like, if you're in showbiz long enough, you have moments that are not glamorous and that you better learn to laugh at because they're going to happen. Right. And you probably can't shut off the switch. You respect the craft so much that if you're performing, you're, you're going to give it your best, whether there's no one there totally. or, or, or oh, yeah. lots of people. Yeah, totally. Um, and it's harder to perform when there are less bells and whistles. So if you're stuck up on a stage in a Costco and the sound's crappy and there's no lighting, that you've, you've got to be singing like 100 times better right. than you would normally be singing like with your sound man and to your fabulous microphone. So it's an interesting thing. There, there are a few scenes and a few lines that I, I wanted to mention because okay. it just really hit me as, as really interesting. And the first one, which... I think maybe it was tough for you, and it was sort of, as a fan of yours, kind of hard to watch, where the scene where the record label in the movie mm-hmm. drops you. Right. And I, th- I thought the line uh, where they say it's as if you're getting dropped right now, that Taylor Swift is relevant, you are not. Right. Which is just kind of like, ooh, it just brings it very current. And for you to just mm-hmm. come out, for an artist to come out and, and give that moment where you're not saying, I'm always relevant, the show must go mm-hmm. on. You're just coming out and saying, yep. I'm not Taylor Swift right now. Right. And, you know, it, it dawned on me. I don't know when it dawned on me, but, like, at some point I wanted to be Madonna, for instance, like hitting those pop hit bullseyes every year. Like, I, I need to keep up. I need to top myself. I need, And I just realized that that was so exhausting and not really my priority. I was like, you know what? I don't think I need to tour every year. I don't think I need to promote a record every year. It's it's the most exhausting thing you'll ever do. Right. Like Heather will tell you, we did an Asian promo tour for one month. Yeah. To this day, I think I'm still recovering from that 30-day promo trip to Asia because we're like, you know, the day I had today and yesterday, it was every day was like that. Right. It, was, it was 4 in the morning until midnight, and then – the day off was a travel day where you got off a plane to paparazzi and fans and and, and it's like to, I look at a Katy Perry and a Taylor Swift and they're doing this all so elegantly and honestly I'm like I, I don't know how are their adrenals are they fatigued yet like I just really wonder and I maybe they're just they have a different makeup than me I mean I have a lot of stamina yeah but I also feel the wear and tear more than I let on so I guess that line in the movie for me is like, I don't really care if I'm quote unquote relevant. I'd rather be like what's like in the fabric of someone's life than to be like ding, 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 setting off bells. You know what I mean? Right. Like I see that with Fergie right now. I love Fergie. I think she's amazing. I thought la, 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 la was like one of her best singles, even though it seemed to be a little un- under-recognized. Yeah. But it felt like, because that was a little underrecognized, she's trying a little hard now, image-wise, and all these things, and I want to go, you're Fergie. You don't have to. And the, to me, the minute you own that, you've arrived. Right. Like, when you're not trying to be relevant, to me, is when, you know, look at Lionel Richie. Like, I don't know how old he is, and he's doing his Vegas strip shows. Like, I want to be Lionel Richie. I don't 
necessarily need to have the need to be Taylor Swift, right? And you know, be on the cover of Vogue. We just had him on the podcast. Oh, yeah, Trevor so Anderson of the Charts Department uh, interviewed he, Lionel. He sounded the energy though he had in his voice. He sounded like it was still his first day in the business. I know. He sounded like a really nice guy. And too. that to me is like that. I idolize people like that more than, and I think Taylor Swift is fabulous. But I don't have the, I don't feel the need to be her. Um, and side note, Lionel Richie, I met him on an airplane, and he said to me, we were talking about writing, and I played him uh, a song, and he it was a song that reminded him of Elton. He said, has Elton heard this song? And, I was yeah. like, and then he said to me, you know, I said, oh, it's, an, it's kind of a rough demo. He said, uh, he said, you could hear a good song on a tin can and a banjo. Yeah. And that stuck with me forever. It's true. Do you remember what song it was? I do. It was another brick falls. I tried to run. I tried to hide. A thorn gets stuck right in my side. I tell myself it's all a game, but the truth remains another. Because had that whole piano, it was right. right out of like it was like the tempo of Crocodile Rock. It was my like yeah, directly right. inspired by Elton singer songwriter pound the piano song. We're going back to anything is possible. We're going deep here. Already. Yes. In, in, <laughs> going deep. In the deep podcast. I feel it. See, now that I did that concert, now I'm like over warmed up. So now I'm going to just sing through the whole thing. All right, I'm just going to keep mentioning deep cuts. And yeah. Keep, keep having you deep sing cuts. them. That's a good title. Deep cuts. Deep cuts. Because that's got, that's an entendre thing. That could be like somebody referring to a deep cut on an album that some song that resonated but a breakup there's something there right hold th- on we th- need to we need to put that in the it's funny I don't use the notepad I text myself <laughs> I, I'm just did, did I just write a song with Debbie Gibson live here on, I on the podcast I think a title is that what just Deep happened cuts. isn't that a good title yes I, I think like it is it. I, I, I'm in favor of it I like it T- take as much time as you want Deb we will wait while Deep you cuts. Deep cuts. all right all right Deep Cuts. Got it. Your next album, Deep, Deep Cuts. cuts. Uh, that I mean, that's there you go. That's a great album title. Look, right. Gary. You, yeah. <laughs> you are just like. I want. I want. Oh I want my. I want my percentage. Like the, uh, seriously, that's that's a good. You know, I mean, because it fits the mood. I know I've talked about all the stuff that I've been writing, and you've hear. You know, you're gonna be. You keep hearing about this music that's percolating and all of that, but that kind of fits the mood of all those songs. Right. It, like it, you, it cuts you deep, yeah, right? Emotionally. I like that. All right. Yeah. All right. We can Very we can cool. stop here. You you have an album. You have a new album to write. I apparently. like that. I like the title. No, and uh, you got to hear one of the newer songs today. Yes, I wanted to um, ask you about the music in the movie, the new song Wonderland. As, yes. As a fan of yours, I, I feel like I'm I'm qualified very well to say it's a really good new Debbie Gibson song. Oh, thank yeah, you. Yeah, I really like it. it. It sounds. And again, that's. Well, you know, to, but just, just your, it, it's a mix of your older song with sort of the newer ballads you've you've done like promises cool. last year, right. and it just has a good melody at its base. Thank that's you. what hit me most. Thank you. And that's one of those songs I go, I, because I wrote the when I was writing the hook, I it was going in a land of like um, kind of an atmospheric dance song that would break down and have that piano thing that then turn it, and then. For the movie, it's a little more theatrical, if you will. But so, like, I take a song like that and I go, I'm not concerned about like where would this fit into the marketplace because right. to me, it's like specific to the movie. If yeah. my fans love it, that's great. Right. Um, but then that other song that I did at the end, Home Free, Home Free, like that, that song, I would love to find a way to really get it out to the people. I feel like because 
I've, I've this was the first time I did it on TV, but I've done it three times now. Okay. And anytime I've had people crying, I've had people. I, I feel the connectedness to the people when I do that song, and I feel like I don't want to waste throwing it out there. Right. So it's an interesting. So from your viewpoint, where would you? How would I? What would I? Well, it's <laughs> what what's interesting about that is it's it's sort of a political song, right? That's not something you're known for lyrically. Um, so that that was thinking, oh, you've gone political on a song. That's new. I mean, it's political, yet it's, you know, it's really, um, well, yeah, I mean, I say when, when the tax man's coming at you, wolf beating down your door. Because I think so many people are, I have so many friends that say to me, oh, my God, I'm so broke. And I always say, you're not broke because that implies you're broken. You're, you're having financial challenges. Let's rephrase. Yeah. Because, again, the, the song really points out, again, what the government can't take from you or what your employer can't dictate about how you feel or who you are. or And so many people get their value from money and they feel like the bank takes their house and they're worthless and they're homeless. Right. They're not. They're houseless. You know, and it's the same thing the, if you if you lost a job, it, the things we tie to our to our self esteem, but obviously money is is different right. on the level ev- of having if, to live. I feel like if everyone thought, even if they're not self employed, like if everyone thought of themselves as being self employed, like I am me and I'm an entity and I'm bringing my value to a company as opposed right. to hire me, hire me. Even in in I I try to stay away from saying I'm going to pitch something. Like I pitched that to Hallmark because it puts you in some vulnerable like me like me position right as opposed to i presented this to hallmark as if say do you do you want it do you feel it and if you don't i will present it elsewhere you know it was lovely hallmark was the first choice home for this project and the first place we went and they instantly connected and it was so cool hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I, I want to ask you another line about the movie, but mm-hmm. since we were just talking political, um, people people probably know you were on Celebrity Apprentice. Yep. Donald Trump was then the host. Yes, he was. Any thoughts on him then, now? Anything you want well, to tell us I mean, about what you thought of that experience? For sure, him? for sure. I mean, one thing's for sure I've learned, like it's so funny, because anytime I've even paid him a compliment on Twitter since he's been campaigning, it creates a firestorm that I'm never ready to deal with. I'm like, right. oh, I, mm, you know. 
But, yeah, so I will just speak on the man. I mean, the man I met was gracious. He was professional. He was, um, you know, what you see is what you get. Um, very fearless. Yes, he could be a little bit abrasive. Um, I, but see, I'm a New Yorker, so I don't mind abrasive. And I would, pr I prefer someone being how they are to being someone else behind your back. Right. That's me. And that's a lot of, you know, other showbiz towns. It's not New York. I think he was just happy that uh, you and Aubrey O'Day were, were going at it. Well, I know you guys are. are oh, my goodness. Are, are you friendly or not? I, I mean, like... I haven't spoken to her in ages, but yes, we left off on kind of, I was, you know, like her big sister all of a right. sudden. I don't know. She literally was like, I don't know. I'm on reality shows all the time and I just forget myself and you're just supposed to play this game. And you just, and I believe that because she kind of has grown up on reality television. Yeah. And now I think she's on Big Brother, which I've been invited to do. And I just, there's not enough money in the world. <laughs> like even with, we, with Apprentice, I was like, this isn't a version where they're like in your hotel room or because I just the whole idea of not having privacy. Right. And, oh, drive me crazy. Yeah. It was at least based on on the activities you were doing on the yeah. show and it also yeah. raised a lot of money for charity. Yes. So that was it good. Did. Yeah. And the celebrities like get paid. I mean, if, if I said the number, some people might go, oh, that's you don't by the time you pay your lawyer to review the contract, your agent, your manager and you get some wardrobe for the show, the money's gone. <laughs> so it truly is for charity. Right. And you give up any money you might have been making for those couple of months you're participating in it. So it, I couldn't have done it unless it, if it didn't have that charity angle, I never could have justified doing it. Was it a fun experience, though? Eh, it, <laughs> it had its moments. I mean, I'm glad I did it to say I did it, um, but I don't think I would want to do anything like that again. Again, it's like we were just having this conversation in the car over here even about like just other parts of entertainment that I would or wouldn't want to do. I really like using my skills. I really like using the craft of acting or the craft of producing or the craft of singing and and then going home. You know, like I just um yeah. I don't I just don't want to be in showbiz to be in showbiz. My boyfriend has a saying, he goes, You can be in showbiz, but that doesn't mean you need to show your biz. <laughs> <laughs> But that's so, something that, that takes time, right? When when you were 16, 17, that's something that takes years of, of doing this to, to come to that realization and that, oh, that totally. place within yourself. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, when you first start in pop music, there's so much stuff that comes your way as you need to do this to sell a record. And so you care so much about, it's like a mother that would take a bullet for her child. You're just like, I'll do anything to get this music out to the people. And then you start realizing... Wait, all this stuff has nothing to do with music, though, and it's weird, and these endorsements aren't congruent with who I am, and and the more you do that, the more it chips away at you, and you realize, like, these, you know, for me, I can't, right. I can't do it. The, I've been approached to endorse products even in yeah. the last few years. It's like I'm very health conscious. If it's not in keeping, and that doesn't even mean I wouldn't promote like a Snickers bar, because actually Snickers has like a good like, it's chocolate blended with nuts blended, and there's a, but if you like tell me to endorse some product that's made from ingredients you can't pronounce that are not real that are chemical that yeah. are poisoning America making people addicted I can't do it right yeah. 
And also, uh, I should mention, I, I know you've fought uh, Lyme disease. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I was thinking this morning when you were performing is how the energy you had. And I know you've said Thank in you. other other interviews that uh, you're 80, 90 percent better at this so. point. I think so. I mean, it's funny. And I said this in an interview the other day with Access Hollywood. I said, now, like, for instance, when I couldn't sleep last night and my nervous system was going kind of crazy, I was like, am I just nervous? Am I overtired? Is this fallout from the line because my stamina is not fully back and my adrenals are a little fatigued from, you know, dealing with this thing in my body for three years? And so I don't know those answers totally. I, I do think I'm still rebuilding. So I don't feel like I'm like a person walking around with, you know, some infectious disease right now. I don't, that's not how I feel. And actually it shows as clear on tests and people. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. I know, and, and people that are like, oh, I hear you can never clear it. I'm like, la, 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 why, why not? And even if it is lurking and if your immune gets low and comes back, I'm going to choose to imprint the picture of the lab result that says it's I don't have it right? and move on. And just, like I said, I do realize that a lot's changed. I'm, like, left with a lot of fallout. So there's food sensitivities and there's some nervous system stuff, and my life's not quite the same, and it may be or it may not be, and... It might have been this way anyway just from doing what I've been doing for so long. Like, I always equate it to athletes. Athletes are like, they retire after, you know, what, 10 years or yeah. however. I Again, when you look at, like, a Madonna or a Tina Turner or Dolly, who's just gone on and on and on, I don't think people realize how much of a marathon that that's is. true yeah the athleticism you know, involved in doing shows and yeah. keeping yourself in shape for that in shape like physically mentally emotionally like right. and like you talked about lionel richie having that like fresh energy every time you promote something and i mean it's it's a happy kind of exhaustion but make no doubt about it it's exhausting right <laughs> in the movie I'm, I'm just spoiler alert so if you've listened this far and you haven't seen the movie uh pause it go watch it come back um at the end you get offered a major uh label record deal yeah. again after from the same label mm-hmm. that that dropped you and you turn it down yep and i was wondering if the real life debbie gibson was suddenly offered to come back on atlantic or any other label today what do you what not are you doing in real life but actually that did happen i won't i'm not going to say the label name out of respect but it you know I had a situation where, um, and I have friends that are artists on this label, and I had a situation where, you know, I started making a record with this label. I did the photo shoots. I was being flown on the jet. I mean, and this was um, maybe 10 years ago. It wasn't that long ago. And, you know, there is an allure to all of that. Um, And then it started getting back to that same reason why, me and Atlantic parted, parted ways which was like again somebody was just like they had this vision for me and again I'm like oh my god I've been doing this too long for me to see to carry out your vision right. like go get some chick that's a blank slate yeah. <laughs> and um, you know puppeteer uh, so and I was spending a lot of excess energy making the head of the label feel like you know they were coming up with all of the ideas and it was this whole I can't that's what I can't do in my life and in my career is expend excess energy on BS political ego stroking it's like look you hire you know you hire me for my that's I loved working with Hallmark because like they hired me for what I bring and I went to them for what they bring 
and there was this mutual dance going on at all times. Right. And there was never like a, well, my opinion trumps your opinion on ever. Like it was always a discussion, well, our audience would like to see this. Well, that's not really in keeping with, and, and, and there was always some decision that was, that made everybody happy at the end. Right. And it was the right decision. So, yeah, so I have had that moment where I've said, you know, you can, yes, you can take this contract and I'm totally fine walking away and I love the line where my manager says where, where he's like who do you think you are and my manager says she's Debbie Taylor and when you're out of a job she'll still be Debbie Taylor right. and that's what I meant about Fergie before like people that have created this thing for themselves it's like nobody can ever take that away there's no contract you know having a contract not having a contract doesn't matter and the line I added in in that moment which was really important to me. I didn't want it to be like, oh, I'm just leaving the music business and I'm gonna go teach kids. I went, wait, why can't I do this on my terms? Why can't I tour in the summer? Right. And then and mentor these kids and make, you know, record record in Ohio if I'm enjoying my life there. And and so that's where I have come to is like you you know, we, we now live in a world where you can do showbiz on your own terms. Right. And have a balanced life and and not be kind of that like beholding like you're offering me a deal I've got to take it right you know well you, with you too especially you are one of the artists who own your own songs in terms of having written them yourself mm -hmm. not every right. artist has that legacy and right. and, and I, I'm not sure you ever get enough credit for that for having written these songs a lot of them on your own mm -hmm. so why, did did you get pressured to write with other people like once after the first couple albums yes and that's when I wrote with Sturkin and Rogers right. which was by the way a totally amazing joyful experience like I would go right with them again in a heartbeat like yeah. I spoke to Evan Rogers a couple of years ago maybe and um, and uh, yeah I mean those guys are amazing but I always say like the Body Mind Soul album when I wrote with them it was this great album that had nothing to do with who I was at the time. Yeah. So, you know, it was, um, like, when I performed Losing Myself, like, two years ago in Chile, I was like, oh, I get this song now. <laughs> now I can stand behind this song with right. all my life experience and really commit. But I couldn't do that at 21. Right. So, yeah. they Great, were, great song, though. I always love that thank song. Thank you. Yeah. I do, too. And again, I appreciate it more now. Right. Back then, I was playing Dress Up. And the audience was like, why is she playing dress up? She was just she was just on our level a minute ago and now she just tried went off and trying it was that trying to be something. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, wasn't there like like a picture of you on was it the Anything Is Possible album with like a leather jacket, the biker yeah, look? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, the yeah. image changed a little bit. Yeah, and it was point. I was being kind of pushed and nudged in that direction. And I understand it. It's just a lot easier of an image for a label to promote. Right. They have to get more creative when an artist is really authentic and quirky and maybe not selling sex, you know. And the funny part is it's like, guys, if you would have waited just a little bit longer, like, I would naturally evolve into that. But for me, that evolution happened at, like, 28. It didn't happen at 21. Right. It just didn't. And so they were impatient, and I just couldn't keep going that direction. But... Um, but yeah, I mean, they were just like wanting me to write with urban writers at that time. That was the, that was what pop music was in yeah. 1993. But see, it that. was also Wilson Phillips. And I had a bunch of songs. In fact, here, going to sing again. 
I remember a song I had, show me the way that I can find you. I am the one need I remind you. I am the keeper of all your dreams. Da -da 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 -da. It was very whimsical. It was kind of Wilson Phillipsy. Phil Ramone produced it, ah. which was amazing. Right. And I have that. It was never released, and I have it somewhere mastered and everything. And they were like, uh, no, it's just too white bread, basically. Right. And I'm like, I'm from Merrick. I am white bread. <laughs> like, I do dance, and we can remix stuff, but, you know, pop they're not going to be feeling me in the ghetto, let's yeah. face it. Well, pop music hit a real wall in the early but 90s. It was grunge and, right. and, 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 and rap, just kind of squeezed mainstream totally. pop But up. it's funny about what I just said. Neil Pogue, later on, he and I wrote a song together, that, and I still want to work with him. He's amazing. And he actually said to me about the song we did together, which was like, I just want to wear your love. It was a very sensual song. And he actually said, they're going to be feeling you in the ghetto with this song. Yeah. But that was me at 30-something, not trying to be something, right. but really feeling the essence and the soulfulness of this song. And again, that's when that connects in unexpected ways. But if you try to do it, Eh, just people just go, you know. People get kind of insulted. I think as, as someone gets insulted, right? As someone who's written most of your hits, or at least most of your recorded songs, yeah, yeah all, by yourself. All the hits, well, yeah. by by yourself with yeah. no other co-writers mm -hmm. for the most part. Lamont Dozier was anything is possible. Right. That's the only co co-written hit. Right. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But we we've analyzed and I've brought this up on the podcast before. But I want to get your take on how. If you look back on the Billboard Hot 100 in the 70s and 80s, mm -hmm. uh, about half the chart songs were written by one person. Right. And as you go every decade since, it gets less and less to the point where, I, I, I don't know, the, the latest, but it's like 21 Pilots right no, now are the right. only songs written by one person. Right. What, what's your take on, on I, writing I alone well, versus it's, collaborating? It's like eight people wrote J-Lo's booty song. Right. That's a lot of <laughs> pieces of booty. Um, but, yeah, so I think... I think like there's this ego involved in publishers and labels putting people together in a room and it becomes like a songwriting party. Yeah. And you know, there was a publish a major publishing company that I met with a few years ago and I played the I played him all this stuff, the new stuff. He's like, Oh my god, this stuff's amazing and he said just what you said. He goes, Nobody sign somebody to just write by themselves anymore right the only place it happens is really in nashville and even not happened. as much not even as much there now right that's and he, you know he well. said you know he said back when it was you and it was richard marx and it was george michael and everybody there was a single writer he said now i'd actually have to say well do you plan on just living in la and kind of giving up your touring career because i'd need to be able to call on you and say Hey, Flo Rida's coming in today. Can I get you in on the session with Flo and this one and that one and that one and that one? And again, my shoulders kind of went up and I went, oh, that just sounds like a whole lot of politics and a whole lot of like, I don't think music's meant to be analyzed to that degree by six people. Yeah. Like I do think, you know, I've written with friends and it's fun and you do come up with things you wouldn't have come up with on your own and there's value to co-writing, to collaborating. But I don't like the forced collaborations and the whole idea of like we got to get this hit maker in on it and we got it because there's probably yeah some artists that would just come up with something great on their own and it would just not even be looked at or counted because it's like wait we didn't put our hands in it and there's right. no mystery to it so it can't be good right. but back then it was like there was no mystery to it I wrote it in my bedroom at three in the morning and ten minutes bam it was a hit 
because it went from my bedroom to those teenage girls. Right. And there was no, nothing in the middle. Other than deep cuts, which we just <laughs> co-wrote. I, that collaboration. There's no problem with, with that oh one. Oh, my God. You know, so sometimes I'll hear hearing something in my head, and I'm, like, singing along. Like, it's a song I know from the radio, and I go, that's not that's not from the radio. That's my channel I'm to, that I'm supposed to write down, and I'm, I have to write it down. And, you know, a lot of times it happens when you're half asleep and you're, like, trying to pull yourself out of that right. semi-conscious state and to, to go and because it'll be gone. Which is kind of what you're in now because you haven't slept I for, am for totally, hours. That's why you're getting, it's like, a good song I, writing session. one of the most fun states to do an interview with because I'm so unfiltered and cuckoo birds. I'm just, hey, it's coming to me and it's coming out. So enjoy right. that, Gary. I, I, mean, I, I will for the next question because I wrote, I wrote this line down from the movie as well. Yeah. Where one of your so in the movie you're teaching kids, yes. and one of them is singing, and she's a little diva in training, mm-hmm. and she's doing the arm gestures, mm-hmm. and you say you, literally you the, the character you says uh, lose the hand gestures, Mariah. We ain't directing traffic. Right. I know. I, I ad libbed the Mariah part once. I said you know like we already have a Mariah, um, but yeah, I believe Mariah's known for those. You know she conducts herself. I love that too. Like I love that she. Um, has you know one finger to her ear where she's like listen she's a true singer she's a true vocalist and i love that about her like she's like it's like she's visually seeing her riffs in front of her and she's conducting herself but it's like her signature thing so, so it's yeah. not a diss it was a playful oh it was so not a diss oh yeah totally like it's but to me it's just mariah's thing she put a stamp on it yeah the um yeah the whole movie and the, the other thing people might think oh uh, debbie gibson's in movies now she's she's totally transition but you were saying before how you just kind of feel like all different parts of, of showbiz it, yeah. they're sort of more I mean, connected I, than, than you might realize totally I mean I started in musical theater as a kid where I was singing dancing acting together all the time to me that it was one and the same thing it was like you're just being creative and you're performing and you're learning all the skills you need to do anything you want to do so it really is you know I mean I was doing extra work in movies when I was a kid I loved being on movie sets and um what I realized about myself, and this could change, like this could change with this movie. I realized like, okay, it was like when, was it Julia Roberts? She went and did like an Irish period piece or something like, okay, she's a great actress and she can go do that and she's going to be great in it. But like, ultimately, I want to see Julia Roberts playing a version of Julia Roberts in everything she does. Right. You know, I want to, I want to hear her Julia-isms and, you know... So for me doing this movie, I felt like, yes, people like yes, people came to see me in Cabaret, and that was like, for me, some shining acting moment. But that's not ultimately how people, like if they had to choose how they wanted to see me, it's going to, to me, be in something like this, right. where I'm ultimately bringing myself, my experience in my world to people and to people who grew up with me and in the way it connected us to begin with. But also, it feels like that's a lot of entertainment now, like Louis C.K. playing a version of himself right. on Louis or Larry David. Yeah, you know, I mean... Comparing you to Larry David. But, I mean, look at Charlie... Like, Charlie Sheen was brilliant on Two and a Half Men. He was being Charlie Sheen, and nobody... To me, when somebody's playing something that nobody else could could have gotten cast in... Right. Like, that's, that's the magic. Is it tougher to play a version of yourself as opposed to, like, in a musical, totally get lost in a completely different yes, character? it's a great question. It is. Like, especially, like, 
me, the Debbie at the beginning of the movie, who's like totally self-absorbed, who, you know, at some point, I'm sure was totally like that, but why would I want to go back there? So when it's like, you know, oh my God, I got you presents, and I hand her, you know, my makeup kit with my picture on it, and like, yeah, there was, I'm sure, a time where I was like, here's a bottle of electric perfume, I hope you like it, and it's like, you know... And, you know, and the joke in that too is that like I'm buying my younger sister um, these like Louis Vuitton shoes that she's a vice principal. When is she going to wear them? Right. Like when when you get famous, especially early on, I think you you start buying people gifts that you think they should have and that you want them to have, and that it has nothing to do with what they want. You know, and so to show up at my sister's house and be like vacay, even those little moments to try to make them real right. was actually more challenging. It was easier to be be the me in some some other parts that was more low key. Even when I'm like in the bunk beds talking with the little girl, and we're like those moments were more real to me. Right. Um, what was not to go too deep into it, but was a lot deep of that cuts. from from your that wasn't a, a, a promo for it. <laughs> was there a lot? Were there times growing up where you felt there was the line about your sister says she she doesn't want to be in your shadow? Was mm-hmm. that was that played up a little bit in the movie, or was that also no, sometimes that's in totally real life? True. My sister Denise used to totally disown me, but because she was so tired of being Debbie Gibson's sister, she right. wanted her own identity, and she was actually quite shy, so she didn't, you know. And I named the character Denise in the movie right. after my sister Denise. And, yeah, you know, Denise, it'd be like, oh, she doesn't, they don't know you're my sister. And she's like, no, I use my married last name at work because I don't, she just doesn't need the hassle of, like, people having some, oh, my God, or really? That's what, I mean, who wants all of that, you know, baggage, if you will? It's baggage. And so there's the scene where I'm like, you know, I felt really guilty my whole life and I ruined your childhood and I had that conversation in real life with my sister and my sister's reaction was like oh my god you didn't it wasn't your fault you were a kid and I was a kid and you were doing what you love to do and yeah I was jealous that mom was with you more of the time so like in that part of the movie I'm gonna have to totally distract my mother when she's watching it (laughs) because it's all she's gonna remember about the movie she's gonna go I did not leave Denise alone she was not raised by a housekeeper (laughs) but the truth of the matter is if somebody is in showbiz in a family and the mother's managing them, the other kids are going to get the short end of the stick. It's just, it's the way it is. And look, my sisters also lived a really great life. You know, they got to go to, you know, my younger sister got to go, got to go to her choice college and live in a house, not a dorm. And, you right, know, you said so that in the movie hurts. too. You might not think, oh, they got to do things that I didn't. It's not, the spotlight's not just on me. They got to do normal, Oh, quote, well, that too, things. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's a heartwarming movie. Yeah, Thank I think you. fans of yours will definitely feel like it is uh, they're seeing you. So Thank in that, you. So f- and a, and apart from the showbiz thing, it really is just about a woman who finds herself and finds that um, you know perception and this picture of life is not necessarily the be all end all. And uh, you know, there's value in actually connecting with people and making a difference in maybe what seems like a smaller way but it's a big deal like when I did my youth mentoring in camps or when I like I'll do a Skype session with a kid and work on their song with them I'm really I'm empowering something like I feel like I'm sending a little soldier off you know I have this little army of kids and and it might not be on a bigger scale as the voice but it's on my scale it's I mean it's it's very important and it's it's powerful to be a part of a kid's musical development it's a very powerful thing so but it's not public so that's the beauty in this is that you know 
my character, me, Daddy, in the movie, finds, oh, there's more to life than me, me, me. And, right. um, and that may sound sort of cliche, but just you talking about it and you see it in the movie, what really isn't a many better lessons than that. And that just comes with experience, learning learning to appreciate the, the simple things. Exactly. Maybe as simple as that. Yes. All right. Well, Debbie, thank you for coming. Thank you. On the podcast, we'll, we'll wait for the new – while we're waiting for, for Deep Cuts to come out, are you actually working <laughs> on, on a new album at, at some point? I am. I still – I mean, like, I still haven't gone into the studio and had that magical moment where I'm like, okay, I'm starting – you know, I'm really delving into this now. And as you know, there's all different ways – to do it now, getting the fans involved or doing it independently. or So just still weighing all those options, too. All right. And uh, for everyone listening, this is posting on uh, August 31st. It's your birthday. Oh, my birthday. So happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. What was I saying about me, me, me? Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. <laughs> And many more. <laughs> Thank you and good night. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.